we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Springer. Hey. Late hey there, but okay. Well, I just didn't know. I didn't, you were just... You were talking very robotically. (laughs) So I was like, what are we doing here? RCST is uh, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. We are going to get on to some KU football, KU basketball talk today. They got a new commit. The schedules are out for men's and women's basketball. Uh, We got uh, NFL Week 2 recap. Matt Tate, Kevin Flaherty going to join the show. Lance Leipold Audio. Plenty more to uh, talk about on today's edition of the show. Uh, I will mention, I mean, the KU men's basketball, women's basketball schedule is out. I'm not gonna dive into it on the show. Just it's one of those things. It's a visual thing. It's not like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? I'm not gonna pick the schedule. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, I the mean, schedule is the tough. Base, yeah. There's good teams in the Big Twelve. I don't, what do you want from me? The biggest highlight of the schedule on the men's side is the last three games. That's what jumped out to me immediately. You end the season the last three games of conference play with at Houston, Kansas State at home, and at Baylor. So that's a pretty brutal way to end the schedule. <laughs> But also, there's a good chance that KU starts like 9 or 10 and 0 when you look at their front half of their schedule. So that is my hashtag analysis. Yes, exactly. So it's like, I, I just check it out yourself. Like, I, I have nothing to add, like, analysis wise on, on the schedule. It is cool that it's out and everything. I'm not trying to poo poo on that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm and just I mean, saying it's, I don't it's know cool what to I see, like, what schools. I mean, I guess we already knew where, what team, KU, where KU was going and where, who was coming to KU and whatnot. We, that was already known, right? So now you just know when exactly, dates, times, things like that. Yes. So uh, that's cool. You can check all that stuff out wherever. Um, Also, we'll get into more on specifically uh, KU basketball's newest commit in Phylon coming up in our next segment. First, though, we've got our KU-BYU notebook, our KU Week 4 notebook. Let's start on the offensive side of the football Uh, We talked a a little bit about this yesterday in terms of KU playing very well in the trenches. And I started to wonder as we were watching that game if the offensive line has taken that step from just being a good offensive line to being a dominant offensive line. Yeah, they've been very, very impressive. And obviously winning in the trenches is something very, very important for winning football games. And I think going into this game against BYU, you felt like KU did have the advantage there. But uh, again, a really strong performance. And Dominic Pony's been outstanding. Obviously, Mike Nowitzki. And and what's crazy about this is uh, you look at the PFF numbers, they are still rotating guys on the interior. They're still getting some different guys. You know, it's it's not it's not everybody starting for the same amount of time. Michael Ford's getting in there, Marjorie Reed Adams, Kobe Baines. So they're they're also rotating guys. And from an offensive line perspective, normally you'd think that's not a good idea. You want to maintain as much continuity as you can, but KU is flexing their depth and flexing their ability to bring rotate different guys in and still maintain that high level which is very impressive and also is a real positive if KU does happen to come across any injuries. Yes, 100%. And, uh, you know, I was looking. They, they've had a 71 or higher pass block grade every week. 
They have been 81 or higher in three of the four games. Their run block grade has been 68 or higher every single week. And overall, on the course of the season, on Pro Football Focus, Kansas right now is sixth in the country in pass block grade. They are third in the country in run block grade. If you're top 10 in both, you are an elite offensive line. Now, you've played yes. a couple good opponents there, BYU and Illinois, and BYU's got big bodies. Tyler Batty's really good. Illinois obviously has the law firm and Jerjon <laughs> Newton. So, like, you have played really good players. It's not that you haven't. Um, I think this week against Texas will be the true test, just how dominant can you be. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are able to control the line of scrimmage against a Texas team that you flash back to the Alabama game where they were dominant against Alabama, and that normally does not happen ever. Uh, so, yeah, this is, I think, Really, the theme for this week for me for KU across the board is this is really a measuring stick game, right? Like, you feel like KU is really talented across the board and has some real playmakers and has some real athletes, you know, across the board on both sides of the ball at all levels. This is the game where you kind of see where exactly that they stack up, right? Because I think going back to, we had this conversation, I think, last year of the idea of KU, is KU just going to be sort of that middle-of-the-pack team where there's still a large gap between them and the Texas and the Oklahomas of the world, or are they going to be closer to that than maybe we think? Yeah. And now here's an example of an opportunity to see exactly where KU might stack up against a Texas team. And also, furthermore, we've had this conversation before too, the new Big 12 suddenly looks like it's wide open in terms of, I'm talking about in the future, of right. what programs could be the real top dog programs. I mean... Yeah. I think we both assumed it was going to be Oklahoma State. They seem like the most poised to do it. Well, now they are <laughs> going the wrong direction. Iowa State stinks. Kansas State, I, I mean, the thing with Kansas State is they could be that program, but from a talent perspective, are they ever going to be that? No. Probably not. Is it going to so be now you're looking at like UCF? TCU? Yeah, now they you're looking the at Florida and Dallas yeah, recruiting pipeline? Exactly. But it's really wide open in terms yeah. of a programs that can claim as being a consi consistent top program in the league. And if you're KU... What better way to maybe throw your name in the ring with by coming out and not necessarily beating Texas, but being competitive, and then maybe you maybe you do beat Oklahoma at home, right? I mean, maybe you beat Oklahoma. You know, if you go one and one against Texas and Oklahoma, that's pretty significant in the last year when they're going to be no longer in the Big Twelve. And then you look and say, okay, well, look what we did against those boys. We can be that program. And, and Travis Goff has openly talked about this a lot. He's Travis Goff is basically saying, why not us? Why not Kansas? Why not Kansas as the premier program? in both football and basketball in the Big 12. And here's an opportunity for KU to see where they're at if that's their goal. Yes. Now, uh, more on the offense. Um, I, I think it was very interesting to see Jalen Daniels' usage in the run game, and I think it's it's pretty clear to me. I, I feel like, I don't know, through all the questions early in the season, like how much are they going to run JD? And they didn't run him a ton in the Nevada game. Okay, now he's going to run more. I think we finally have our answer of, of how they're going to do it. It's never going to be back to what it was last year in the early part of the year where against like Houston and West Virginia, he's running the ball 15, 16, 20 times a game. Um, in certain games where they feel like they don't need to, although the rest of the way in Big 12 play, you probably do need to. It'll probably be, you'll see him somewhere between like 8 to 12 carries per game. Where it's like, we're not going to run him as much. We're going to do it when we have to. Yeah. We're going to do it to keep the defense honest and they still have to worry about it. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna try to limit the hits a little bit. Yeah, my takeaway is that it seems to me that KU is going to be more intentional with JD running the ball, where like kind of like what you were alluding to, where it's not necessarily going to be quantity so much as quality. Like we're gonna be intentional about the times that we want Jalen to to utilize his legs and run the ball, 
and right, maybe to minimize hits to, to keep him healthy. And, and and again, when it with something like that, like you don't have to necessarily do that consistently for it to be a threat, right? For a defense. I mean, if you if the defense knows that you can be successful doing that, you don't have to consistently do it to set it up. You know, it's it's the age old question of do you have to be successful with the run game in order to in order to have play action be successful? You really don't, right? Just even the threat of it can make it successful. And that's kind of where I see this being at with Kansas and Jalen Daniels, where they definitely want to utilize him in the run game. But listen, when you've got running backs like Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw, guys that are there to take the hits, get them the ball. Let them take the hits. And then, you know, those six to eight, ten times a game where Jalen Daniels does sprinkle in a little read option or whatever, and he pulls it out and can get a lot of positive yardage, it's great. So that was kind of my takeaway was that I think KU is looking to be a lot more intentional with how they run Jalen Daniels and specific with how they utilize him instead of just maybe more willing to just say, okay, run it whenever. Now mm-hmm. they want to be specific. They want to be intentional about when and how they choose to do that. And I think that's kind of a good balance that, that they're going to end up kind of uh, living with there. Uh, now, I, I will say this too. Like we, we saw a game where Daniel Hysha held on to the football. That hasn't happened in whatever his last, I don't know, four, five, six appearances, something like that. Uh, it was good to see. And and when he holds on to the ball, like it is clear to me the talent is so absurd for Daniel Hyshaw yeah. that I really do believe if Daniel Hyshaw holds on to the football, like he is an all big twelve running back. He runs like Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. That's what I think. Where he just, I think he's built a little bigger, Pacheco probably a little faster. Yeah. yeah. Well but but you know what I mean? Just like yes. the absolutely relentless, like turning the legs, just refusing to to not go down for falling forward or whatever, like that's kind of a a similar way of, and I think not necessarily similar style, but similar attitude, I guess, mm-hmm. so to speak, about how they run. And, and yeah, he's he's very very impressive. And I touched on this yesterday, but it's I think it's pretty clear now that KU has established a pattern of how they want to utilize their running backs. Where it's Devin Neal primarily in the first half. The third quarter is the quarter where it's more Daniel Highshaw, Dylan McDuffie, and then that maintain that gives Devin Neal time to have be fresh for the fourth quarter. Because if you think about it. It actually, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think this is really smart by KU because, in by doing it that way, if you're not using, if you're not utilizing Devin Neal that much in the third quarter, you're basically giving Devin Neal almost an hour of real time to fully, you know, get back up to get the juices going again. Because think about it, college football half times take like ten years. Yeah. Okay, so you have all that time plus the third quarter. You're you're giving him a lot of time to sort of re- regenerate, recharge, whatever for whatever he might need in the fourth quarter. So. I think it makes a lot of sense, right? You can lean on him early in the game because he's very, very a very strong, powerful back and a guy that you want to get the ball to. And then when you have a guy like Daniel Highshaw or in, in, and even furthermore Dylan McDuffie as your guys in the third quarter, and then you can utilize Devin Neal again in the fourth quarter at full strength. I think it's actually very smart. KU's done it now in consecutive games, and it seems like that's the pattern they want to continue to use for now with yeah. with Devin Neal. Uh, one other note that I had on the offense, you know, what was something that we kind of harped on a little bit from last year's games was times where maybe the offense had the chance for the kill shot and they didn't take it. You go back to last year uh, against West Virginia. Yeah. I think it was 42-34. You had the ball. You ended up getting like a fourth and one, fourth and two. You didn't convert. You ended Duke, up punting the ball Duke away. game, you get the ball back yep. with like four minutes left and you can't even get a first yep. down. And they end up, you have to get the stop with the defense up eight. The yep. Iowa State game, you couldn't close the game out on offense. There yep. were some games last year that you ended up winning, so you ended up, you give credit to the defense for holding there at the end, but that you could have put away with your offense. And yep. the defense held at the end here too, but 
you had basically the same situation you did in that Duke game. It was 35 to 27, just as it was yep. in the Duke game. Yep. Except in this time there was a little more time. I think when you got the ball this time, there was like eight minutes or so. <laughs> but you took like a four or five minute drive. You yep. went down, you kicked the field goal. That's all you needed. Made it a two score game with three, four minutes left. Mission accomplished. Yep. Some some nice grounded pound mm. there in the fourth quarter to run the ball yeah, down. It helps and, when uh, you can just run down the, yes. their throat. Yes. Yes. Uh no, that that was very impressive. And that's a good point because you're right. I mean, we highlighted it a lot last year of plenty of times where KU had an opportunity to execute their four-minute offense to put a game away and really didn't. Yeah. And like you said, they ended up winning a good amount of those games, but it's nice when you can actually have the offense go out and chew some clock, chew four or five minutes off the clock, go down, get some points in a tight game to make it a two-possession game to where now you feel like the game is pretty much out of reach. And that's exactly what the offense was able to do in this game against BYU, which was nice to see. Yes. So uh, moving on to the defense with some uh, week four notes. Um, we, we talked a little bit about the, the past defense. I, I thought it was better than, than maybe some of the numbers um, indicated because of the fact that it was still only seven yards per attempt. It was a couple interceptions. Like, it wasn't bad coverage. You just made them make plays, and they did. So we don't need to yep. rehash some of that. Keep uh, times. Yes. He, he was good outside of the two picks, but guess what? You throw it a bunch, and you know, you're not Patrick Mahomes. Probably going to make a couple mistakes, which he did. Uh, to that notion, though, on the past defense, Kobe Bryant is elite, and yeah. right now he is playing like a not just all Big 12 first team corner, which he was last year. He's playing like an all American level corner. And, and I don't know if he's going to end up getting that award. It's going to be dependent on how KU does. Whether you like it or not, the corner award is not one that you can easily, that, that voters can easily be like, oh, this running back ran for 2,000 yards. This quarterback threw for 5,000. There's not as many stats available. There's interceptions, yeah, but that doesn't and, tell and the whole story the for flexions. corners, right? Yeah. So part of it will be based on the interception since that's the flashy stat, which right now he has two through four games, which if he stays on that pace, that'll be good enough. Um, but it's also dependent on KU having to continue to be a, a competent team where you got to be ranked for multiple weeks. you got to probably win eight or nine games this year. And if that happens, it'll matter. But I'll say this. Whether he gets on there or not, if he continues the pace he's on playing, he will deserve it. I will say that. And it does have me wondering if he's going to be in the NFL next season. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think the biggest issue maybe when you look at Kobe Bryant from an NFL perspective is just size. I mean, he's not a yes. big dude, right? I mean, playing at 165-ish pounds probably – not a not a real big guy, but listen, he showed against BYU. He can still give you a big hit, <laughs> you know, and he, he was good in coverage. And uh, the other thing about the the corners is Melo Dotson. I think is really really good. If he were just like a tiny bit faster, like from a speed mm -hmm. perspective, he would be also elite. Yeah, he's just not quite there. From real speed, real speed quick on the the size thing, um, Emmanuel Forbes. Was I think now? Now this guy had insane production at college at Mississippi State. I think he's like the all-time NCAA leader in like pick sixes or something like that. Wow! Uh, but he measured in the combine at 166 pounds. He got taken 16th overall. You know. Now he ran also ran a. Not only did he have the pick six stuff, he ran a four three five forty. That's pretty I don't good. know if Kobe Bryant's gonna run that. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. That's pretty good. Um, but point being, if that if that guy was able to get first, if Kobe Bryant is similar weight, has good production. Yeah, and, and he I mean, runs I'm even sure, a four four two. And I'm sure NFL is that a day two pick? Yeah, and I'm sure NFL strength coaches can you know yeah work with something like that. So, but there's going to be a lot of decisions from uh, the NFL for for KU at the end. Oh of yeah. The season. yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be uncharted territory for a lot of KU fans mm -hmm. for sure. 
uh, which who knows how much like NIL kind of plays into uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, elsewhere on defense, uh, obviously that was a dominant run defense game. The, the run defense numbers were insane, but also it was yeah. your really good tackling grades, and that obviously helps. It was your best of the season in, in terms of tackling. Yeah, with the run defense, I was really happy because this was a BYU team that was not a good rushing team coming in, and you were able to flex on that as well, right? Like, like I think in the past we've seen sometimes – some teams uh, that come in with like, oh, this is a weakness on offense. But against Kansas' defense, it's not a weakness because the KU defense is not that good. So it's nice to see KU's defense basically exploiting a weakness, a known weakness of the opposing offense and making sure that that wasn't something that they were able to do successfully against KU specifically. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. Like we said before the or in the offseason – if you can just be an average defense, that would be a good thing. Well, what should you do if you're average? If you're playing better opponents, probably not going to look great. If you're playing worse opponents, make them look worse, and, yes. and that's what they or do. Or basically, right? you know, make an opponent's weakness look like yes, a weakness. Exactly. Um, now, it will be interesting because I do think the one thing that I noticed that BYU doesn't really have, as much as Keaton Slovis was a pretty accurate passer, and um, even though they didn't run the ball well, I think the LJ Martin kid is talented, and yeah. uh, Chase Roberts is a good possession receiver. Isaac Rex, LJ Martin guy, receiver. I think he's a true freshman. Yes, he is. Freshman. Yeah, true freshman. Yeah. The the one thing I noticed with BYU, they don't really have any like like X factor players. Yeah, where it's like the guy who you're gonna throw a quick screen to, and he's gonna break it off. Like yeah. Devin Neal, like, you can even, run halfback dive. Well, Daniel Highshawn, he can break off a sixty yarder. Yeah, BYU even, didn't have even that. Illinois had guys like that. Right. Illinois had some explosives. The uh, the former quarterback, the yeah, the Williams. Isaiah, Isaiah Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like yeah, exactly. They didn't have that one guy, and that is gonna be night and day this week with Texas because they have like a Multiple. billion of those guys, right? <laughs> that can just take it to the house. So yeah. it's a different. It's it's one thing for Kansas to have a great tackling grade against a team like that. Let's see what it is this week against Texas, but you like to be uh, moving in that same way. Uh, really impressed with the linebackers. Cornell Wheeler looked good. J.B. Brown played a ton. Tywan Berryhill was obviously out with an injury. So If I'm uh, not mistaken, J.B. Brown lined up at, lined up at defensive end again mm-hmm. for some snaps uh, in the game against BYU. So yep. they, you know, Brian Boland and the staff obviously like that concept and want to utilize it a little bit more. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yep. All right, uh, that'll do it for our notebook. We got to get on to oh, some. Wait. One uh, more oh, thing, what? I just want to yeah. give a shout out to Austin Booker as well. He had a, yes. a fantastic game. Austin Booker was very, very good, and I think he is uh, KU's best pure pass rusher, pass rusher on the team. All right, uh, KU has a new commit for the class of 2024 on the basketball court. He is a four-star, top 40 recruit. We're going to talk about him on the other side. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Matt Tate is going to join us in less than 15 minutes from right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. KU men's basketball has a new commit in the class of 2024. That would be one LeBaron Phylon. He is the number 27 overall recruit in the class of 2024 on 24-7 sports. Uh, some of the other sites like on three rivals ESPN have him between the 30 to 40 range. So either way, top 40 recruit. He is a uh, high-end four-star recruit. He's uh, depending where you look, again, kind of listed between 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Basically, he is a scoring combo guard, though. Yeah. Yeah, so another really good get for, for Kansas. Now, he took his visit over this past weekend, so uh, kind of a good uh, or a good sign for Kansas, I guess, that you know takes the visit and then decides to commit after the visit. So a really quality get for KU to add in with Floyd Wadunga, obviously. And this is a class that, you know, there's a couple other top 15 guys that Kansas is going after pretty heavily, and this could turn into... One of, maybe one of the better classes Bill Self has had in recent memory. Yes, because you look at some of the guys that you mentioned, they're going out. It's like Cooper Flagg, it's yep. Liam McNeely, it's some of these other five-star recruits. 
Um, and, and we'll wait and see what, what happens with those. Obviously, we'll have Late Night in the Fog coming up next Friday, and uh, that'll obviously be a recruiting tool to all that. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a heck of a start in the class with uh, Flory, yeah. uh, either Badunga or Badunga, and, uh, and uh, Phylon. Yeah, and this seems like maybe this could be a situation where if KU thinks that a guy like El Marco Jackson could be a one-and-done, Phylon could be a guy that comes in as a freshman and maybe slots into that similar scoring role, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, like you know, you have Dewan Harris, obviously, and so your whoever your other guard is with Dewan Harris, you would prefer to be an off-ball scoring type guy. So, uh, yeah, maybe this is something where they they feel like they could get that in there. But I I do think that that Bill Self, there's been a I think there's been a mentality shift with Bill Self in his recruiting. I think he has shifted from recruiting guys that he wants to. I'm going to go out and find the most talented players I can find and get them into the program, and then I'll figure out everything else after. That's that To me, that's what it seems like. It could be. It could be. Um, this could be moving on from some of the NCAA stuff. Like, even during the NCAA stuff, they're still bringing in top 50 recruits, four-star recruits, McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah. It just wasn't as many as maybe they were before, and it wasn't like the McDonald's All-Americans. The they were typically, exactly. The, like, they're obviously were the, the few occasions, like Quentin Grimes was a top 10 recruit. But for the most part, the McDonald's All-Americans, they were bringing in during the NCAA stuff, which I guess technically we still are. I'm just saying it feels like they're moving off of that, was Bryce Thompson was in the teens. Devon Dotson was around 20. Uh, your David McCormick's were around, like, 30, right? Whereas yeah. now, and, and I get this, like, this is in that range of being in that 20s, 30s. But Badunga's a top five guy but like, uh, with McNeely and Flagg. They're going after top 10 guys. Yeah, I mean, there's a possibility that this that, that this kid, LeBaron Phylon, might be your lowest-ranked recruit. Which would when, be when absolutely all, bananas. Exactly, yes. when it's all said and done. Yes. And and I think it is kind of perfect. Like, it's sort of the carbon copy. I, I know you were saying, like, he's just going for the best talent and moving on from there. Maybe it is. But also, like, think about it this way, too. The idea on this kid is he is a 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", combo guard who scores the basketball well. Um, I know he's still working on the jump shot. I think 31% most recently, but also he has another year of high school to iron that out. Um, we've seen a lot of combo guards come into KU as highly rated recruits, and they turn into, like, all-American point guards at Kansas, whether it was uh, Devon Dotson, Frank Mason, uh, Sharon Collins, Mario Chalmers, Devontae Grant, like... Those guys have done very well in the Bill Self system <laughs> that I think it's interesting because to me, I don't know how long Phylon will be in school. Like, he'll join, obviously, in 2024. That would hypothetically be the last year of Dewan Harris. Could Phylon be a one-and-done in 2024? Maybe. I mean, it would just depend on opportunity. Like you said, if El Marco Jackson's a one-and-done this year, opportunity's there. If he's not and you have 2024, you have El Marco and Dewan back, then that, Phylon's that your first guard off the bench, That'd right? Be but then you're looking at, after that, I think it's very safe to assume a Marco Jackson would probably be gone within two years from Kansas. He could be gone after this year. If not, you feel like by year two. Dewan would for sure be gone after, you know, two more seasons uh, because of graduation and eligibility yep. and after, stuff. After his uh, ninth year. Yes. And so <laughs> then you'd be looking at it as like, okay, well, and who would step up then? And at that point, you could be like, okay, a sophomore LeBaron Phylon would be the guy. And because we've seen those guys work so well with Bill Self, it feels like to me that would be the guy. But also... It feels like to me that Bill Self is saying, um, I've had so much success with these scoring guards, and as great as it's been with Dewan Harris that he is this past first guard and he impacts the game, it's hard to find another one of those guys. It's hard to find a guy who is so unselfish. Yeah. I mean, Dewan Harris incredible is incredible defender. Those guys don't just grow on No, trees. they don't. 
and and typically those aren't the guys who are five star recruits, so it's hard to find them. Those are Dewan was the diamond in the rough, and so Bill Self is saying, listen, I, I'm sure he'd love to have another Dewan Harris, but it's because it's tough to find those guys. It's almost like let's just go back to our roots. We're going to go for another scoring guard, which has worked so well in the past too. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I agree with that 100. percent And also, listen, the reality situation is. We are still in this gray area of NIL, you know, fully coming into swing to where guys where you would think, oh, one and done. Oh, he's gone. Maybe not, right? I mean, if you, if you, if, if, especially in a program like Kansas, if you can throw around six or even seven figures to some guys to, to play at KU, and you, they, you know, they have, I mean, look at a guy like Kevin McCuller. They have a choice between going in the second round of the draft or maybe coming back. Maybe you, you know, maybe again, I, I, I've kind of talked about this. Maybe you start to see the idea of there's less one and dones with NIL. I, I don't know. I mean, so then maybe you, you have more loaded college rosters. Yeah, it very well could be. So, um, obviously a big get for KU, but they uh, are not done. I, I think would be the easy way of putting that. And uh, I think we ain't done yet. Yeah, we ain't done yet. All right, uh, Kevin Flaherty is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour to talk a little Big 12. We'll ask him more about LeBaron Phylon, so you won't want to miss that at 440. Uh, coming up next on the other side, though, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. Talk a little KU football. Maybe we'll squeeze some KU basketball in there as well with Matt. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. Uh, so, Matt, you were just uh, on vacation. You went to—I forget if it was Disneyland or Disney World. Either way, they say the uh, happiest place in the in the world. Uh, did that come crashing down to reality having to watch the uh, your Denver Broncos on Sunday? <laughs> oh, I didn't know where you were going with that, but yes, it was. Uh, it was it was anything but magical. That is for sure. I, uh, I I can't believe it. Still, I was talking with a good friend of mine who's uh, you know equally die hard about the Broncos, and, and and neither one of us is even mad. It's like they're just that bad right now that it's like, well, here we go. You know, you can't be you can't be mad. You can't be whining about like, oh, if there was just that holding call, you know. <laughs> No, no, no. When you get 50 burgered, you're uh, you're a bad football yes. team. And, you know, the first two weeks, they should have won both of those games, and that was frustrating. So maybe the Miami beatdown was a good thing for those of us who, who bleed orange and blue because uh, my expectations are certainly low, low, low right now. So uh, maybe, my, maybe my fall will be much more pleasant when I don't expect them to win ever. And then if they happen to, hey, great, we'll take it. Well, I think that's a great transition for me into this next question because for the longest time, that was how KU football fans felt uh, going into it was feels apathy, like right? That. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I covered <laughs> 10 years of that whole decade of debacle and despair for Kansas football, and watching Denver every Sunday right now feels a lot like that. They're they're hapless, they're helpless, they're hopeless. I mean, it's 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 eerie how similar that was, and I, I don't, you know, there were reasons with with the KU problems. And, you know, they kept starting over with coaches and all that. Well, Denver's doing the same thing. And so you've got to establish a culture. You've got to buy into it. And you've got to get players that are willing to do it. And until you do, it's going to look like look like that. So pretty wild that it flipped like that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it used to be covering KU on, on Saturday. It was 
kind of emotionally and, and mentally exhausting because it was just so bad and you couldn't believe what you were watching and having to write about and all that. But my reward was always, well, Peyton Manning's playing tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> now it's the complete opposite. KU's an absolute joy to cover, and, and Sundays are, are ugly. So you're, you're not wrong, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's, that's dead right, man. No, all good. And uh, I, I guess more on that, like, uh, 4-0 back-to-back years, uh, we've all heard the stat. This is the first time it's been done in, in over 100 years and everything. What to you is the biggest reason why? Like when, when you look at this thing from from the, I guess, I don't know, macro view of why this has happened, why Lance Leipold and his staff have completely turned things around for where this program was over the last 15 years. Uh, please explain why you think we've gotten here. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really tough question to answer, but I, I think the answer is pretty simple. Um, minute one. You know, Lance walked in there, and the first time he met with that team, and a lot of those guys are still here, the first time he met with those guys, he said, we will win here, I promise. And it had been a long, long time since any of them had heard anyone in that position at Kansas say that with such conviction. And so whether they bought in right away or believed in it right away or they were like, okay, that he's right, you know, like, that takes some time. You still have to, you still have to see it. You still have to figure things out along the way and and learn some things about this guy who's your new head coach. And and by the way, all these other guys who are his position coaches, and you don't know anything about any of them. So it, it's not as easy as to say it just happened in that one moment. But I think that moment spoke to those guys. It resonated with those guys. It it gave them a glimmer of hope that they had severely been missing. And and then what they started to see from there was this is a guy who stood in front of us and promised us big things, things that some really big names couldn't deliver. And, oh, by the way, he's out here working his ass off just as much as we are to make sure that he delivers for us, so we better go deliver for him. And, and I, I really think that's how it started, and I really think it is that simple. And then, little by little by little, from there, it becomes the norm, it becomes the culture, it flips entirely, and now it's the expectation. Now, now these guys not only, you know, know how to, how to operate in the Lance Leipold space and, and, and program and stratosphere and all that stuff, but, but now they not only have a new standard that they hold new guys and newcomers and young guys too. But but they also walk around going, we're a damn good football team, period. Bring it. We'll, we'll play you. And when you combine all that stuff into one thing, man, it, it's, it's, it's really powerful. And, and, and so I think, you know, there have been a lot of guys who have tried it. Sometimes it just isn't, isn't in the cards, you know. It, it really does have to be a perfect storm of, of all of those elements coming together. Um, and one of those elements was Travis Goff, the, the guy who hired Lance. You know, I mean, that was a, that was the, the very tip of this iceberg and the very beginning of this, this transition and all of that. So, you know, without Leipold, without Goff, without the right players like Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal and Luke Graham and on and on and on and on, without any of those pieces, this thing might not have happened. But it just so happened that after so many awful years and, and bad outings and bad performances and, and total letdowns and all of that, the stars aligned to where all that was in place at the same time. 
And, you know, you hear it all the time, right place, right time, and you get those kinds of results. Kansas was due and, and everything lined up perfectly, and, and, and now look at it. You know, it's a big challenge. They're a, nearly a three-touchdown underdog at Texas, and that's, that's the right number. But there's a lot of belief that if they could go down there and find a way to win that game, my God, man, you know, all of a sudden you turn into a maybe at least as of today a favorite to win the Big 12 title. And who would have ever thought we could say that with a straight face? So it, it, it is remarkable how it's happened and what's happened, but I, I think that's kind of where it all originated. I think it was all that first meeting where Lance just said, this is what we're going to do. Come with me and let's go. And they have. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I, they, they had the video of it, the, the video of him kind of giving the speech and everything. And I do wonder... You know, as you're sitting there over the course of the season, even though you can see some improvements, I do wonder how much, you know, from the locker room, the players are like, because you fall to one and seven, you fall to one and eight, and you're like, ah, man, what's going on here? How much do you think the Texas win in 2021? Like, I I was thinking about this today. I think you can almost, um, I don't know, not fully attribute. There's obviously much more to it than just one game and, and what that sparked. But for both these programs this Saturday, I think you could probably, for Texas, say that that was probably the moment for them where they said, hey, we probably need to figure something out because this is embarrassing for us. Whereas from the Kansas perspective, uh, to me, that moment of beating Texas in Austin was probably for a lot of the players affirmation of everything that you just talked about that Lance Leipold told the players and said to the players to where you get the words, you get the action, then you get the belief. That's exactly right. And there's no question that was a huge part of it. Um, But it's also something you can't take for granted because everyone remembers David Beatty beating Texas. And it didn't go from there. You know, it wasn't the same thing. Now, why is that? Well, it's very obvious. David Beatty is not Lance Leipold. The, the pieces were not in place for that kind of momentum to, to come from, from that victory over Texas, which that victory over Texas that Beatty had was, was, you know, arguably one of the worst Texas teams we've ever seen. So different stories there. But, but yeah, that was a big, that was a big win in 2021 that, that showed these guys, look, this, this is, uh, this is what's possible, and, and we're getting a taste of it, and we want more of it, and it wasn't a fluke. You know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't force nine turnovers, and there, there weren't 36 penalties called on Texas or anything crazy like that. You know, it was, it was they had the ball last. They were bold. They made the play to win the game, and they walked out of there having beaten Texas. And so, yeah, it, it, it really was, um, if, if nothing else, the very first springboard from there that, that really gave them – the belief that that man there's more like this coming and and now i want to work harder now i want to put more time in now i want to put more effort in because the feeling that they had walking out of there that night is a feeling you want again every single week and um you know obviously that that led to really good things last year in their first bowl game and and now they have that feeling again just getting to a bowl wasn't good enough they want more they want more they're hungry and and you know, that's how you build something. That's what he's done everywhere he's been. He knows how it goes. He knows what it looks like. And he, he's fortunate that he had a bunch of guys that, that were willing to follow him and, and trust him and, and say, yes, sir, we'll, we'll do whatever you ask, sir. Let's get to it. And, and they have. And so here they are. Incredible, man. Really, really, truly incredible to go back-to-back years at 4-0 and, and to take a team down to Austin this weekend 
that you feel good about that you, that you look look at you know your chances and yeah again almost a three touchdown underdog but I guarantee everyone in the Kansas locker room thinks their game plan and their potential and their talent is good enough to win that game and they're going to go down there expecting to win it and that that's powerful in itself. Yeah, to that notion on Saturday, um, obviously, like you said, like the players in the locker room are, are going to want to win, and Lance Leipold's not going to go in being like, hey, guys, let's just lose by eight because that'll be a good loss. But from our perspective, we can have those conversations. Uh, what do you think would be a good result for Kansas on Saturday, whether it's it's points or whether it's how they look or, I don't know, something specific in the game? What, what do you think would be a good result for Kansas this weekend? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think they can win. Like, I think they're going to have to play damn near perfect, and and that's a lot to ask. But but that's the standard they have for themselves. So if they execute and they do it, you know, it's there. It's 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 very realistic and very possible that they could go win that game. Now, having said that, um, I, I think that coming back to your point and your question, um, it. it you don't have to win the game to walk out of there feeling like you gained something. It's almost like the old RPI conversation, right? It's almost like, well, as long as you don't go down there and just embarrass yourself, just going down there and competing and playing that game, that elevates your strength of schedule and that boosts your RPI number. And the next thing you know, you look like a more legitimate program because you played Texas to 10 points on their turf or something like that. So I think anything 10 points and, and under would, would be, you know, it's a moral victory and, it, and it's, it's not one that any player or coach on that entire roster wants to talk about or hear about, but I don't think it could be overlooked. I don't think it could be ignored. I think that would be a significant outcome. So if they lose by 10 or anything better than that, the, the trip was, was a, a success. Um, and, and, and they can take something positive from that. And if they happen to find a way to win the game, then forget about it, man. I mean, like all of a sudden, every single goal that they talk about that you hear and that every team has at the start of the season and all that stuff, every one of those becomes realistic. This is the number three team in the country. This is a team that walked into Alabama and whipped Alabama. This is a team that if you can go to their house and beat them, you can play with anybody. So, I mean, the potential, what, what is there to be gained is is off the charts. Um, but, again, can't beat yourself, can't, can't shrink in the moment, can't, you know, do any of those things we've seen in the past. But, again, I think they can win the game, and I think they're set up in a really good position because they are, you know, the phrase is, right, playing with house money. That's what they're doing. They got nothing to lose going down there. If they go down and get beat by 30, is anyone going to go, what happened to Kansas? No. Right. People are going to be like, yeah, Texas is really good. They covered the spread, and Kansas isn't quite there yet. So, big deal. It's not going to be an embarrassment, you know, short of 70 to 20 maybe, like a Tim Broncos <laughs> score. Um, but, but you know, so so I really think that that, that concept of playing with house money and, and really taking taking the idea of let's just give them hell. We got nothing to lose. Let's 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 just take it to them and make them uncomfortable and, and make it, make it something that they don't want to be part of. I mean, I, I think, you know, easier said than done, but I think if you do that, this game becomes very interesting very quickly. And, and I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. Talking with Matt Tate, R1S1sports.com, uh, shifting gears over to basketball real quick. Uh, KU basketball landed a top 40 commit, LeBaron Phylon, 
Uh, just more from a big picture sense with, with KU having two top 40 commits now for the class. We, we've obviously seen them still bring in big recruits here, even during some of this, I guess, NCAA cloud that's been hanging over their head. They've had McDonald's All-Americans. It feels like to me, though, they haven't quite had the, I don't know, maybe the top five, top three guys as, as consistently as maybe they did before that stuff. And maybe there weren't as... Uh, I don't know, voluptuous of, of kind of classes that were being put together uh, during the NCAA stuff. Does this feel like to you this is uh, Bill Self kind of working his way out of the NCAA stuff with, with what's going on in the recruiting class right now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the big man, Flory, is, is, you know, the first five-star commitment that they've got since, what, 2016, something like that. And, and then now you're you're taking a point guard who is ranked 38th in the country by rivals, and he's the number six point guard in the country. So, obviously, very talented. I know there are a lot of people out there that think he's, you know, better than that even. Um, and, and and a lot of times when a guy commits to Kansas and he's 38th, next thing you know, he, he cracks the top 20. I mean, those things happen. So, um, they they redo those rankings at least somewhat regularly. And so, you know, you never know. But 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 none of that matters. It's all about fit. And I I think the fact that that um, that they're getting those types of players is definitely a, a really good sign and big news and, and noteworthy and all that. But but for me, the biggest thing about it is is the fact that you're looking at at those two guys that they got in in, in regardless of where they're ranked, they're, they're highly recruited, highly sought after players, and they're a big man and a point guard and. I mean, that's just so significant because when you get sort of your anchor like that in a class with, with really good talent like that, man, the rest of it becomes so easy. Um, the, the rest of it is, is um, you know, fill in with the best player available. Go get some wings and, 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 you know, you can be flexible with how you use them and who they are and where they come from and all of that stuff. So I, I think that I don't think they're going to stop you know, putting the hammer down. I think they're going to go after the best talent in this class that they can still get. And and if that's another big or another point guard, you know, bring it on. That that's that's going to be the mindset like it always is. But they've got those sort of cornerstone pieces now, and and it just opens up whatever they can do, whatever they want to do, however it goes from here. It, it, it's already a success, and uh, I, I think that gives them a a ridiculously cool amount of flexibility and, and freedom. And, and there's just a lot to like about that. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's in the portal era to go get a couple of guys like that. I mean, they've made it clear. They're not afraid to dip into the portal and go get guys that can make an impact and be starters and all that. So, um, it's been known since the portal thing sort of blew up that, that the only, the only high school guys that self and his, and his coaching staff are going to take are probably impact guys, elite guys, you know, because you don't have to gamble on a 17, 18 year old anymore. You, you know, you can go get the 20 year old from wherever, uh, who's played some college ball and, and has a little maturity and all that stuff. And, and, uh, he's shown he can do that, but, but these are guys you got to take and, and, uh, yeah, they, they, they both look really nice. And, um, this, this dude is, is super talented. He, he just looks like he's, connected to the basketball he, he just looks like he's he's so comfortable you know with the ball in his hands and and uh, it sounds like he can shoot it a little bit um not necessarily a, a a knockdown shooter or anything like that but he doesn't have to be he's so athletic and he's so good going to the rim that if you give him a little space and he can make that shot you know then then that's a problem too so, so big big pickup and and i think that class is really off to a, a pretty terrific start
He's Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, r1s1sports.com. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. That sounds great. Thanks, man. You guys have a good week. All right, that's Matt Tate, r1s1sports.com. One hour down, two to go. We have some NFL Week 3 recap coming up, more KU football talk. Uh, We're going to have some Lance Leipold audio. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 440. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We uh, have nothing after the show tonight. We do have Hawk Talk with Lance Leipold coming after the show on tomorrow night's show. Okay, uh, Kevin Flaherty will join us later this hour. We'll have a Big 12 breakdown before we do any of that. It's time for NFL Week 3 Recap. <laughs> what? You're just really excited about recap. Recapping it, baby. <laughs> That's no recap. Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, what was your biggest surprise of Week 3? Uh, okay, I'm actually going to go with the Colts here as my biggest surprise. I just assumed that Baltimore was like a really good team. And they couldn't beat the Colts. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and also... The battle for Baltimore. True, yes. Because mm-hmm. it was the Baltimore Colts, yep. right? But th- they didn't go from Baltimore straight to Indianapolis, did they? Um, yes, they did. Oh, really? They were originally Baltimore Colts. They moved to they were to like Cleveland. Um, no, you're thinking of the, the Ravens. The Ravens oh. franchise is actually... Cleveland. Yes. Because the, the Cleveland Browns moved. To Baltimore, to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Ravens. And then the okay. Cleveland Browns started up a second Cleveland Browns. What? Yeah. Why aren't they called Cleveland Browns the second? <laughs> oh, actually, Cleveland Browns Jr. <laughs> Cleveland Browns Jr. We're just going to rename the You're Cleveland to Browns the guy. Yeah. to Cleveland Browns Jr. <laughs> Come on, make it happen. Yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, no, I was I was surprised by that. Roger. Idea. That would be that would be up there. The call, I mean, it, without Anthony Richardson too, Gardner Minshew in there, and it's like I know, the, I, just I know the Ravens had a lot of players home, injured. The Ravens are yeah. at home. Like They should take care of business. Well, specifically there, you know? in that game, I was surprised when even though it was a 61-yard field goal when Justin Tucker missed the kick to win the game because yeah. you just never see that. Well, and it's like you know the Chiefs go and lose to the Colts last year, but they, it was at the Colts, Yeah, and you know they ended up being fine. This was is that game in week three? Home. I think it was. So do not play the Colts in week three <laughs> is basically the, mo- the moral of this story. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that okay. was my biggest surprise, just because I, I figured the Ravens would be good enough to take care of business, and uh turns out they yeah. stink. <laughs> my biggest surprise, I thought about making this Josh McDaniels kicking that field goal at the end of the game down eight with three minutes left. <laughs> that was bad. That was a big surprise. Although, uh, I ended up having the under in that game, and the under was 41 and a half. It finished at 41, so wow. I was actually thankful for it. Wow. So I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> And this this honestly might be the biggest surprise for the first three weeks of the season, but it, it's more about they beat yeah. the Cowboys. And it's not just that they beat the Cowboys. I, I thought the Cowboys looked unbelievable the first two weeks. How could you not? You know, they blew everybody out. Um, Mike McCarthy, he's always good for one WTF game. He is. Also, though, you know, looking back, the Giants, or yeah, the Giants who they beat in week one are kind of bad, and the Jets who they beat in week two is Zach Wilson might not they're, be very good yeah, either, not, right? Maybe. So you're saying the Cowboys are frauds? Maybe. Maybe I am. The Cowboys maybe. are frauds. No, I'm, I'm just saying I don't think the Cowboys the made fraud like, boys. I think last week frauds. we did top three, bottom three. Wait, which do you like better, fraud boys or cow frauds? I like cow fraud sounds funnier, but fraud boys makes more sense. <laughs> um, I had the Cowboys number one last week. So, like, I, I thought very highly of them. I still think they're, like, a playoff team. I still think they're a good team. But I, I, I've come off, like, from 
them being on that top ledge. Clearly, the for this game. Cowboys. Well, and it the wasn't Dow just that the fraud. Cardinals won the game. What's well, a big surprise is that they won the game by 12 points. Like they yeah. won the game going away. Yeah. Which, like, yeah. you could have seen a world coming in the week after the Cardinals almost beat Washington, almost beat the Giants of like, oh, the Cardinals just because the Cowboys, I think they were without two or three of their starting offensive linemen. Uh, Diggs had just gotten hurt earlier. Like, you could have yeah. seen a scenario where it was like, oh, the Cardinals pull an upset. My, I would have expected it. But the, the fact that they won by 12, huge shock for me. My guess would be that the messenger they sent down to the Cardinals locker room to tell Jonathan Cannon, hey, we're trying to tank. He must have got stuck in the elevator. <laughs> And the message never got through. I guess not. That's what keeps happening. Think about it. Go back to the Giants game. Someone, you know, <laughs> at halftime goes down and says, hey, hey, yo, Jonathan Gannon, we're supposed to be tanking, bro. What are you doing? They go, like, oh, I forgot again. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> but also, okay, everyone wanted to get on Gannon and say, oh, this dude's a clown. This guy's a weirdo. Like, what, what's going on? What if he's, like, actually a good coach? <laughs> he might be. Because, well, think about this. I saw somebody point this out. In one sense, the Cardinals actually might have worked out in their schedule that their first three games of the season were all against teams that he used to be a coach oh. in that division. And That's, he was yeah, a former defense coordinator. Three straight NFC right? teams. Yes. And from he would the, have he had, was the Eagles. I mean, he was with the Eagles. They had yeah. a lot of success against that division. Wow. He probably okay. had good game plans for all of the teams, yeah, right? Wow. So that probably helps. Huh. Then again, you could say, well, they would have good game plans for him. So I don't know. Um, but the, the defense has been feisty. Josh Dobbs didn't go. They ran it down. Dallas Why do you think they throat. played three, all three NFC teams? That's weird. Teams Are they playing the, um, Who's the four? Would it be the Eagles? Are they playing the Eagles this week? That'd be wild, wouldn't it? Are they? No, they're playing the 49ers. Oh. Yeah, that is kind that of That is weird, though, right? Yeah. All right, who's your... Chalk that up in biggest weird of the week. Okay, uh, who is biggest disappointment? Biggest weird. <laughs> biggest disappointment, It's. I mean, it's got to be the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. I mean, those boys are terrible. Because, like, listen, you can't really put the Bears on there because the Bears are bad. Yeah, you how can you disappoint be, when you're already yes. in the level of disappointment? Exactly, yeah. yes. So the Bears... No, but the Broncos, man. I mean, that's a team that, once again, for like the fourth straight year with Russell Wilson, oh, they could win nine or ten games. Oh, the Broncos might be going to go with Sean Payton. No, they're terrible. They suck. They're bad. Russell Wilson stinks. Sean Payton is old and washed. They're terrible. So, biggest disappointment, the Broncos. And I, for one, listen, when I say biggest disappointment, this is not my biggest disappointment because I knew they were bad. So, I'm not disappointed at all. This is great. But just collectively, you're happy. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about it. I mean, it's it's fantastic. There's nothing better than the Chiefs winning and the Broncos losing. Nothing. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. It's what it's what drives me. It's what motivates me every day. <laughs> well, that's great for you. I and, am fueled uh, by my you. hatred for the Broncos. Well, no, I I, I like that, that meme with a guy. I went yeah. to I went to my biggest haters funeral to make sure that you know they're actually they're actually dead. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's for sure the right answer. Because even though they were 0-2 and you could still argue like, oh, but they were bad. They, uh, to, I don't care. You give up 70 points in the yeah, NFL if you, game. Yeah, you losing by 50 while giving up 70. Yeah. that's It doesn't matter who you are. To pick a different team, since I, cause I agree with you, I'm not going to pick the Bears. Even though they look horrible and it was you know, still, I guess, an issue and, and even less than you expect on already a low bar. Uh, I actually am going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars here. I mean, it's... For whatever reason, they continue to be absolutely owned by the Houston Texans. <laughs> I don't know what it is because it's like completely different coaches, different quarterbacks for the Texans like every year, and they continue to beat them. But it's not just that the Jags lost to the Texans. Again, this goes back in line with my you know thing of like, oh, well, okay, like if the Texans beat them by three, they've just happened to weirdly own them. Like, 
The yeah. Texans dominated them. Yeah. 37 to 17. And now you look at it and the Jags are one and two. The offense the last two weeks has not looked good. Trevor Lawrence has not looked good the last two weeks. Uh, you get blasted by the Texans offense that the Texans offense had not been great <laughs> over the first two weeks of the season. Yep. I think the Jaguars were were the biggest disappointment in week three. Hand up. A bad take on my part when I said the Jaguars could win 12 games. Mm. Bad, bad take. Yeah, that's Terrible not looking take. good. I didn't Horrible remember take. you saying that. So thank you for well, uh, owning I, remember, up. To no, it. remember I I because I, I suggested that they might be a sneaky one seed. Mm. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Idiot. It happened in this Stupid point. idiot. Mm-hmm. No, they just they just look disjointed. Like they've had a lot of drops from the receivers. I don't know. I man. mean, if they had a pulse, they would have beat the Chiefs. That was not a not a great Chiefs not, offensive game. Not yeah. a great game. Yep. Uh, who's your week two MVP offensive and defensive? I don't know. All right, uh, on offense, there's a couple of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to bring this guy up, but Devin A. Chain, Devon A. Chain. Yeah. He was on your fantasy team, and you left him on your bench. Yup. Uh, I don't know if you happen to see— starting him this week, and he's going to have two carries for four yards. I don't know if I you know. happen to see Keenan Allen's stat line. Yeah, you know, the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Like, 18 catches, 215 yards. He threw a touchdown pass also. Yeah. I think you could actually argue Keenan Allen over Devon A. Chain because if, if Devon A. Chain did not exist on this Sunday, the, the Dolphins, Dolphins still scored. win— 56 to 20, right? <laughs> you know? Or some other running back has 200 yards because the, the lanes are so open. The, the Chargers had to win that game. Brandon yes. Staley might have gotten fired. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'll go with I'll go with Keenan on there. Okay. The defense, uh, what about just like the Bengals' D-line? I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, they, they wrecked that they, game. They were destroying the game. Because it still wasn't uh, a great game from Joe Burrow. He threw like no. 50 passes. He averaged like no, five was, yards in an attempt. Yeah. I was really upset watching that game because I was like, dude, Rams. The Bengals are trying to lose. Like, they suck. They are trying to give you this game. And Matt Stafford is like, I suck. I'm Matt Stafford. Oh, and then they just lose. Like, sweet. You had a chance to bury them. I mean, bury them. 0-3 Bengals, that's the dream for Chiefs fans. Yep. I think the Bengals are going to be tough this week. Matt Stafford just. Oh, it's Bengals-Titans. So whoever loses, I think, is, like, done, right? Whoever loses would be 1-3. Bengals-Titans? Yeah. Well, the Titans, I mean. You're ready to call him done now. I've been calling him done okay. since the season started. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so my offense one, I'm, I, I kind of want to just give it to the entire Dolphins offense. Maybe if I'm, if I Dolphins offensive line, I mean, they were the common denominator yeah. between throwing for 350 and rushing for 350. Yeah. Um, honestly, like, I know this is not going to be a popular thing, but like picking a kicker. What, what if I picked Matt Gay? A Colts kicker, he goes five for five on field goals. He was the first ever kicker, first out of, uh, to ever make four 50-yarders in one game. That is insane. Yeah. That's I mean, crazy. I mean, they had to Also, how, is, how, how has Justin Tucker not done that before? I don't know. That I mean, he's the crazy. kicking goat. How does he not have every kick? Well, I mean, there, there's probably a, a part of it where it's like you have to have, it's An also the, the scenario, like right? Bad, but not bad enough. the ball that enough. Get it yes. <laughs> yes. So, you that's, know screw dude, it. I'm that's the strategy for, fan, for drafting fantasy kickers. Mm-hmm. You want the teams with bad offenses. Yes. Or like, you want the teams but not like, bad enough that they're never going to get yes, field goals. Yes, you want the teams yeah. with below average offenses is a better way to put it. That way they'll always get in a field goal range, but they'll never score a touchdown yeah. and you profit. Yeah, so Matt Gay was an MVP. So I'm actually taking Matt Gay because uh, they, they had to have every single one of those. They won an overtime. Um, defensively, um, I thought it was really funny. I was going through like some of the stats this week. Did you know TJ Edwards for Chicago, their linebacker? He had 17 tackles. Jeez, against the Chiefs? Yeah. Wow. Could he be defensive MVP? Because if you only had 10, no. they would have lost by 40 instead no. of 31. 
No. No, I'm not going to I'm not it. going to allow you uh, to do anything, say anything positive about No, I, I'm going to double up on the Colts. I'm going to take Zaire Franklin. He is a Colts linebacker, 15 tackles and a sack. Uh, the Ravens couldn't really establish the running game outside of Lamar just scrambling, which Lamar had like 100 yards rushing, so, you know, that in itself. But they couldn't do basic running plays. Um, the Ravens' offense obviously, you know, only ended up with 19 points, even through overtime of the game. So, uh, Zaire Franklin for Indianapolis gets my defensive MVP. Uh, who is your I think they're good? This could be a category of either, um, like, you can be asking the question, like, I think they're good. This could be you saying... They're a team that you're not sure were good, but now after this week you do think they're good. I don't know. A lot of ways yeah. that you can uh, spin this one. Yeah, I, there's two teams that jump out to me about jump out to me in this category. I I kind of think the Packers might be good. Mm. What are they two Packers, one? Yeah, I think the Packers might be low key. And when I say good, I mean like ten and seven. Yeah, yeah. I think the the definition Which like ten like, and seven should yes. win them the division. Good doesn't mean you have to be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I, I think, think the good Packers, is like a playoff team. I, I'm I'm actually buying Jordan Love being kind of good, mm-hmm. like kind of decent. Uh, the other option is is the Lions, but I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I like, you know, I got mad at the Lions because everyone was like, oh, the Lions are good now. And I was like, okay, it was actually fun when they weren't good and people thought they were good. Now that they actually are kind of good, I'm actually annoyed by them. So I'll just go with the Packers. Yeah. The Packers are kind of good. So I'm going to go with the Browns. I think they are good. I, I wasn't totally sold in because Deshaun Watson's not been playing well. And also I don't like Deshaun Watson. Um, yeah, screw that guy. Nick Chubb gets injured. Right, it's not like they yeah. have like a ton of unbelievable weapons on the outside. Like Amari Cooper's good, but he's not, you know, I don't know. Amari Cooper, he's not Justin is Jefferson, Juju right? Smith-Schuster, with a, but a little bit better. Yeah, a little faster, Juju Smith. There you go. Yeah, he's he's like good, but he's like <laughs> right. It's 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 not like you're you know pounding your chest that we have the best receiver in the NFL. No, um, so I I had questions there about the offense. The defense is just so good that it's it's getting impossible for me to ignore how good they are. Did you know yeah. I did not realize this? Because you go back and you think back to the Steelers game they lost on Monday night. And wasn't the score like 26-22 yeah, or something? They gave up weird? like two defensive touchdowns. That's right. So I didn't realize this. If you take out drives that the opposition has like ran the clock out, like kneeling the ball at the end of the first half or running the clock out at the end of the, the second half because they're okay. losing by so much. Yep. The Browns have faced 34 drives. This season? This season. Oh, that's a lot of drives. They have Three given games. up one touchdown in 34 drives on defense. That's that is good. insane. They might have That's the best defensive line in the NFL. It's certainly up there. Miles Garrett is a dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They made some good signings there. They've, they've made some good draft picks. That defense is legit. So I actually think the Browns are good. Huh? Like playoffs good? Yeah. I'm actually kind of getting the to the point North? now. What if the Bengals are the worst team in the AFC North? Seriously. I, I think they're better. With than an injured Steelers. Joe Burrow. They've got to be better than the Steelers. Steelers are two and one, and I don't know if you've seen the the Steelers. Uh, I forget who they play this week. It's somebody who you're like, oh, they should probably win that. Oh, they get the uh, they get the Texans this week. Ah, so Steelers could be sitting at three and one. Okay, healthy Joe Burrow. I do not think they're the worst team, and and but with the current version of Joe Burrow dealing with the calf injury that we've seen the first three weeks, I could make they the also, argument they're the worst team. That in the injury AFC. must be a lot worse than they thought it was, right? Yeah, because at the time it was like ah, he'll be fine in a couple weeks. That was like two months ago. No, I think they said it was four to six weeks, which was going to make him miss the first two weeks of the season, but they played him anyway. And because of that, it probably delays the ability to get re-healthy, especially because Joe Burrow, after the second game, says he re-aggravated it. Yeah. So now it's hypothetically worse. Okay, uh, who is your I think they suck? I think the Rams suck. Oh! Didn't just stink. last week you had them, I think they're good? The Rams? Yes, last I think week. So. I think I you know. did. No. It was either last week or two weeks ago. I don't remember. <laughs> I think you were in on them. Well, as you know, I am very extreme in uh, some of my picks. I think the Rams suck. I mean, dude. Watching those boys against the Bengals just 
God, it just ticked me off. It just, it just really, it just really annoyed me. I mean, what, what are we doing? Like, just don't suck. Just be better. God. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. They suck. I'm gonna go with the Jets with Zach Wilson. The Jets with Zach Wilson can't do anything. Um, this is not an I think they suck. This is I know they suck. <laughs> I mean, I think we have enough to know that this is a, a yeah. slam dunk. Open yeah. Chuck Ace. Okay, well, uh, low Trevor Simeon, do anything this for you? This is kind of weak on your part. Low-hanging right. fruit. Um, who else? Low-hanging fruit. Sucks? I mean, I think the Giants suck, but I think I did that one last week. You probably did. Yeah. You think the Saints suck? No, I don't. I think they're fine. Titans. I think they're just, like, dead. No, I actually, I'm, I'm a believer uh, still in the Titans. Patriots? Well, I guess if I said the Bengals thing, I'll just go with the Bengals. You think the Bengals suck? Yeah, I okay. think the Bengals suck with an injured Joe Burrow. I mean, the Raiders obviously. He gets healthy. I'll the Raiders obviously suck. Yeah, they do. The, the Panthers suck. Well, let's get Obviously. into that. Top three, bottom three. All right. What do you want first? Uh, let's do the top. Uh, Chiefs. Uh, I I guess Dolphins and Niners, but I would say the Eagles are, are pretty close. Okay. Eagles on a I am in full agreement, except I'm just going to go Dolphins one, Chiefs two, Niners three, and then, yeah, I'd probably have Eagles outside looking in. Uh, what is your bottom three? Bottom three is last is the Bears. Second to last is the Broncos. Third is maybe the Raiders. God, I don't know. I mean, their only win is the Broncos by a point. Yeah, so it's I'd, not like that. I think I put the Raiders as the okay. next bat, next worst. I have Bears is worst. Panthers is second worst. Oh. I still don't think the Panthers are very good. They played. A, they didn't. They didn't look horrible against the Seahawks. I guess. And then I have the Broncos third worst. I don't know, man. The Broncos are. <laughs> they really are. Really yeah, they are. I don't know. <laughs> you can't go wrong. I with hope the anyway. Broncos never win and get another game ever yeah. again. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Kevin Flaherty will join the show in about twenty minutes from right now. We got a uh, Big Twelve breakdown coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in about fifteen minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Don't forget to get uh, some. RCST mailbag questions in for us. You can uh, hit us up on our Twitter page at RCST1320. Yeah, we've already got some doozies. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, email us, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. We'll do that KU mailbag tomorrow at uh, 4.05. It can be KU questions. It can be life questions, food yeah, questions. Honestly, the best questions, questions we have are any questions. That's right. Taylor Swift yeah. questions. Oh, no, the Taylor uh, Swift, those would be good questions. Yeah. We've had some good dating questions in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember the guy that said that. <laughs> there were the guy that said the question of, <laughs> what was it? It was he was he wanted to watch the Super Bowl, but it was his it was his girlfriend's birthday or something. <laughs> I don't even think it was the Super Bowl. It was just he oh, wanted to watch some KU basketball. <laughs> oh, it was KU basketball. It was his, his, his girlfriend's girlfriend birthday. for her birthday. Like requested that he uh, like he take didn't her to watch dinner the game or took her yeah, yeah during yeah. the game or something. And he was like, I don't know. So I if you want remember. the foremost dating advice, yeah, uh, Taylor Swift experts because we are experts or I'm an expert. I mean, I got boots on the ground. I've got sources anywhere, everywhere you could think of. Nobody is more locked in on what's going on with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey than me. And you can find out what's going on right here on Taylor Swift Sports Talk anytime. There we go. All right, Big 12 breakdown time. What was your top takeaway from the week of Big 12 football? Uh, I think just kind of a continuation of the fact that the Big 12 is just kind of not very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the most impressive win? Texas, I guess, over Baylor? I guess, yeah, because they trounced. But, like, Oklahoma, like, Kind of messed around with Cincinnati, mm-hmm. beat them twenty to six. Like that's Cincinnati not had like a couple, I think, red zone mistakes, like a missed field goal turnover, something like that. Yeah, West Virginia beats Texas Tech, dude. Listen, I personally was never as much in on Texas Tech as I know what everyone else was, 
And boy, is that coming to look good for me because those boys stink. Yeah. I mean, well, they I was there with good. you. I thought they were just going to continue to be like a seven-win team, which you know, I don't even know if they're going to be that. They're now. not. No, no, because to get to that, because Tyler Chuck is out for the yeah, year. Yeah, they have think. to finish. I think six and two. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I agree with that. I I will say as it pertains to KU, one thing I noticed because Iowa State not a great offense, although Rocco actually had a really good game. Um, yeah, the over under for that game was thirty six and a half. Smash Iowa yeah. State against Almost Oklahoma State. It. It, it hit in the first half. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so, I mean, that was a good offensive game for them. But for the most part, Iowa State's more of a defensive team. Oklahoma State's more of a defensive team because they can't figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, Cincinnati, yeah. you saw that in the Oklahoma game. They actually do have a good defense, but the offense isn't great. Yeah. When you look at KU's four road Big 12 games, those are three of them. The only other one is this week against Texas. Texas is just an all-around team. The other yeah. three road games that KU is going to play in the Big 12, I think it's pretty clear to me you're going to be playing solid defenses, which means that to win on the road, you're going to have to win ugly. Yeah, and honestly, that's kind of a concern, right? Like, like mm-hmm. you would pref- you would prefer to be playing bad defenses, not on the road, <laughs> right? Because if you're getting a lot of third downs and third down and longs, and that gets the crowd into it and whatnot, you know that helps the defense out a lot. So, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a negative. But also, KU continues to be I I think they're number one in the country in third down conversions. Third yes, down they are. Yes. Yeah, so they continue to be excellent on third down. So maybe that kind of nullifies the idea of having to go on the road against a good defense and maybe dealing with crowd and whatnot if KU is going to continue to be a top 10 team in the country in third down conversions. Uh, but, yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. And it also kind of helps from a defensive standpoint for KU, though, because if you're not playing great offenses on the road, that's going to probably give you a better chance to be successful, yeah. considering we still think that the offense for KU is the strength and the defense is more weak. But I will say, listen, Brian Borland, in the preseason, had the comment that said, we're not going to be the weak link in the chain anymore. And I think maybe some people might have rolled their eyes at that or scoffed. I think it's kind of come to fruition. Like, the defense is not there. I mean, I, again, I think we still agree that the offense is superior, but the defense is not the weak link anymore, I don't think. Is it? It's not a weak link. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're comparing it, Offense, defense, special teams. I guess hypothetically, if you have to have one weak link, it it's would by the be. defense. Because you're special right. Teams is number one in the country. That was the greatest special teams of yeah, all time. That I mean, was the, the spirit teams. of that comment. The spirit of that comment was not to be a weak link overall. And yes, yeah. to this point, no, they have not been a weak link to this point. Uh, by the way, you did mention Oklahoma, and, and yeah, they they didn't have a, a great win overall. I will say this: I'm actually like really impressed with Oklahoma's defense so far, which which was a big question for them because yeah. I mean, I mean, right now, they're actually number one is Oklahoma. Now, part of it, they haven't played a great schedule so far, but they're number one in the Big 12 in points per game and points allowed per game. Again, they've probably played the weakest schedule of any of like, the Did top teams. Did they beat Arkansas teams. State 900 to zero? Yeah, Arkansas that State's not totally very good. totally inflates their numbers. Um, SMU's fine. Um, Cincinnati's projected to be one of the three or four worst teams last, in the Big 12. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I forget the other team that they've played. So they haven't played a tough schedule, I will say. Uh, but, I don't know. Oh, Tulsa. They played Tulsa. There we go. And they're not very good either. They've only given up eight and a half points per game so far. And they're only giving up 311 yards per game, 4.4 yards per play. Um, their defense was bad last year, but obviously Brent Venables, defensive coach, it seems like to me he has fixed a lot of it. I will say this, though. Right now, today, this moment, 4.32 p.m. Central Time mm-hmm. on September 26th, this is the most confident I've been in the idea of KU beating Oklahoma all, all season. Right now, today. Okay. If KU played Oklahoma this weekend at home, I would think I would feel really good. Now, obviously, we'll see what happens with KU leading up to that game. But yeah, and Oklahoma I feel, will have played Texas by then. So yeah, I mean, I feel really good 
I feel really, really good about Katie's chances at home against Oklahoma okay. right now. Um, does Texas Tech stink or is West Virginia goodish? I think West Virginia might be kind of goodish, maybe. I feel like West Virginia is a bowl team. I think so, too. Six I think they are sneaky 6-6. Yep. Six and six. Sneaky decent. And think about it. Neil Brown, I mean, they wanted his head on a pike. Yeah. <laughs> and now it turns out that maybe he's not that bad. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's still work to be done, but they're, what, 3-1 and one to this point in the season, and the only loss is to Penn State, who's yep. obviously a very good team. Yep. Um, they beat the rival Pitt. Yep. This is the upcoming schedule for them. So this is going to be a big determining factor game to me of, like, so West Virginia's at TCU this Saturday. Oh. The winner of that, I think you look at as a top-half team in the Big 12. The other, they're probably more middling or maybe bottom half. Yeah. But then they're at Houston. Then they have Oklahoma did, State at home. Did TCU beat SMU? I assume they did. Yes, they did. Okay. Yeah. But, okay, West Virginia could lose at TCU. But at TCU, at Houston, versus Oklahoma State, at UCF, versus BYU, there's a chance West Virginia could win three or four of those five. And then if they even win three, you're looking at six and three. And then you have at Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and at Baylor to finish. You could you win one or two win of those. One of those or two, they yeah. could win seven or eight and games Baylor this year. Baylor is bad. Is it actually a good thing that Kansas avoided West Virginia on the schedule <laughs> this season? It, it, it could be. It could be. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, I mentioned this to you off the air. Texas has like kind of a cakewalk to twelve and zero. Yeah. If they beat KU and they beat OU these next two weeks, like they have, they can kind of sleepwalk to twelve and zero. Honestly, mm-hmm. I but mean the, the back half of their schedule it's college is football. It will be one game. No, where somebody, I know. Yeah. And Texas is Texas, right? And what are they known for? They're known for having a cakewalk to being really good and then falling flat on their face mm-hmm. somewhere. But I mean, the back half of their schedule is at Houston, at home against BYU, at home against Kansas State. At TCU, at Iowa State, Texas Tech. I mean, like I said. They're probably double-digit favorites in every one of those games. They beat Oklahoma, and they beat KU these next two weeks, and they're 6-0. The only game that they even have a chance of losing is probably Mm K-State. Or maybe at TCU, I don't know. But, like, they could sleepwalk to 12-0. All right, who do you think is the biggest win for the week for the Big 12? I think you could argue KU, West Virginia, obviously. Kansas State getting a win, bouncing back, beating UCF. That's a good win. Yeah. I think for Kansas State, the big difference in that game was – that was a team that, kind of similarly to BYU, they really could not run the ball at all. And I think they ran for over 300 yards against UCF. DJ Giddens had a huge, huge game. Uh, so I think maybe from a from that standpoint, you could argue K-State. KU, I think also, yeah. you could argue, is uh, you know is, is kind of solidifying themselves. And then West Virginia, I think, definitely. Because that's a program that people didn't think was going to be very good. And now they look like they're maybe kind of decent. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports is going to join us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. About 20 minutes till 5. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on the show. Uh, Kevin, big game this Saturday. You might have heard about it. KU is taking on Texas down in Austin. Top 25 showdown. Um, when you look at what the Longhorns come in, so far it's been pretty pristine for uh, Texas. Is is there anything, are there any ways that you think Kansas might be able to have an advantage or exploit something that Texas does? You know, it, it's interesting you ask that. First of all, am I to understand you're going to be down there in Austin for this one? Yeah, I will be. I'll be uh, visiting my parents. I'll be uh, attending the game. It'll be a good time. Okay, I'll be down there too. The wife's coming down. So we... We we should uh, should all have a uh, a good time, but no, I think you know there are some areas in the secondary in particular that if Kansas is able to run the ball and 
and sort of stay out of those situations where Texas knows that that Kansas has to throw the ball. If you can get, you know, even into third and three or, or second and five or, or whatever else, if you throw the ball in those situations, I, I think Kansas can push the ball downfield on this secondary. And I think, you know, that was something you saw in the Alabama game. You know, obviously Alabama's got a lot of speed at wide receiver, but at the same time, you know, Jalen Milrow maybe isn't as consistent a passer as Jalen Daniels is. But I, I, when I look at these two teams, I think that's kind of what stands out to me is Texas has a lot of advantages here, but I do think, you know, that secondary is one that if Kansas executes and gets to where you aren't throwing passes on third and 12, where, you know, they can, uh, they can come after you with different pressure packages where they can hide Jalen Ford in certain places because, you know, that guy, it seems like he trips into a turnover every game. Um, if you can get into situations where you can throw the ball and they don't know you're going to throw the ball, I do think that Kansas can have some success down the field. Well, I guess kind of that same notion then, is there a player who has to play well outside of Jalen Daniels? We know the quarterback's going to have to play well if you want to go on the road and uh, pull an upset or play competitive here. Uh, that That you think would require Kansas playing well to be competitive on Saturday's game. Yeah, I think, you know, there are a couple guys, and I know you asked for one, but I think you could almost say the wide receiver position as a whole. And I think specifically, you know, it would really help them if if they could get some contested catch-type situations out of, uh, out of L.J. Arnold. Uh, I think, you know, that would really help them out. Obviously, Luke Grimm, when you look at – a lot of games against really good secondaries. You know, maybe they have a guy that can match up with Quentin Skinner on the outside. Maybe they have a guy that that can line up and, and match up with LJ and force him to work a little bit. But not a lot of people have somebody that can guard Grimm out of the slot. And so I think whether it's the slot, whether it's a second tight end, you know, sort of making use of of players like that in the passing game. And, and again, I know you only ask for one player. But when you look at at all of the weapons that Texas brings to bear, you know, defensive or offensively, I, I think Kobe Bryant really needs to have a good game. I don't know if Kansas is going to have him travel, you know, to where he's on Xavier Worthy all the time. But whether he's on Worthy or whether he's on Ad Mitchell or or whoever he's on from a down to down basis, it would help Kansas a lot if he could sort of hold up his end of the bargain to where, you know. Even if uh, even if Mellow Dotson's struggling a little bit, maybe you can send some some coverages his way, or, or kind of bracket guys, or do some different things. On the flip side of this, what is the one thing that Texas does well that should be most worrisome for Kansas? Yeah, I think Texas is so good up front. You know, I, it's funny. I think Pro Football Focus has the KU offensive line as like the number six offensive line in the country. And I think Texas is number seven. And so when you look at that, Texas is really big. You look at last year's game, and obviously Bijan Robinson was, was unbelievable in that game. But even before, you know, Bijan got to do what he did in the open field, Kansas' defensive line kind of got washed out by the offensive line. You know, they won up front, and that really enabled, you know, B. John Robinson to have the day that he did. I think Kansas' defensive line has come such a long way from that point. I think they're bigger 
more athletic. I don't think that any of us could have seen, you know, last year's Kansas defensive line group holding BYU to nine yards rushing, you know, the way that that they were able to on Saturday. And on the other side of the ball, you know, that was that was the big part of of what I thought was Texas's success against Alabama was that Texas defensive line is really, really good. And I thought that they won up front against Alabama's offensive line. And so as good as Texas is, as much speed as there is, as many good players as they have, I think it really starts up front for the Longhorns with sort of pace setters on both sides of the ball. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Moving around the Big 12, what to you was the the biggest result, whether it was the most surprising or just most definitive result that we saw uh, from another Big 12 team over the weekend? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think there were there were probably a few. The West Virginia over Texas Tech game was a surprise to me, and obviously you had the injury to, uh, to Tyler Shuck in that one. It looks like he's going to be out at least most of the regular season. If not all of it, I think it was what, like a six to eight week timetable on that injury after the surgery. And so, you know, eight weeks puts him back like right around the last game of the season or so. Uh, but then Baron Morton came in and he was a quarterback who's, who's had some success for Texas Tech through for 300 yards and in back to back games last year. And, he went something like what, 13 for 37 or, or something like that. And all of a sudden, this Texas Tech team that a lot of us, myself included, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was a Texas Tech, you know, uh, drum banger in, in the offseason. You know, all of a sudden they're sitting there at, at one and three. They're starting quarterbacks hurt. I do think Morton has the ability to kind of write things on offense and, and get them operating well, but he didn't against West Virginia. I think that was. That was one of the bigger surprises to me. I didn't think Texas would blow out Baylor, but I thought that was a possibility. I thought, you know, Baylor had played so well against Utah, and, and you know, when they played with a lot of pride and, and all of those different things, you thought Texas coming in sort of for the last game in Waco. Uh, I really thought that Baylor would show up for that game, even if they weren't as talented, and even if they would wind up losing eventually. I didn't. C38 to 6 going on in that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh Oklahoma Cincinnati was kind of a weird game, lower score sure. game. Uh, do you do you walk away from the start to Cincinnati season being like that they're clearly better than the last place team and on the flip side with Oklahoma, are you buying into the defense so far? Yeah, I think Cincinnati has been better than I thought Cincinnati would be at this point. I don't think Cincinnati is the is the worst team, and quite frankly, you know, we might have seen the battle between the two worst teams when Iowa State played Oklahoma State this past weekend. Uh, I do think Cincinnati is not the last place team in the league. They, you know, they may only be a few runs ahead of that, but they're better. They're better than I thought they would be this year. I do think. Once they get into Big 12 play, people have a little more tape on kind of what they want to do offensively and their personnel. I do think you're going to see the Cincinnati offense kind of come down a notch or two from where it has been over the course of the season. Oklahoma's defense, you know, I I like the defense. It's kind of funny because I think, you know, last year there were a lot of believers in Oklahoma's offense. And, you know, obviously the defense really struggled. I, I buying into this Oklahoma defense being pretty good, I think. I don't know that it's, 
you know, a Venables top 10, you know, top 15 in the country type group. But I think they're pretty good. I do think offensively they're not really hitting on all the notes the way that they did a year ago. And, you know, they're going to try and play with tempo. You know, Dylan Gabriel's a good quarterback. They aren't as good at wide receiver. And, you know, losing a guy like Marvin Mims will do that, even though Andrew Anthony is, is playing pretty well right now. And they're they're struggling to run the ball and not running the ball like we're used to seeing Oklahoma run the ball. And so it, it's kind of funny because I think coming into the season, based on expectations from last year, people kind of gave Oklahoma's offense the benefit of the doubt and felt like, well, defensively, even if they improve, it won't be by that much. And I think it's kind of gone the other way where this is a this is an Oklahoma team where maybe you can trust the defense a little bit more than you can trust the offense. If if you're making a Big Twelve title pick right now, are are you just going with the uh, two teams leaving for the SEC with uh, Texas and Oklahoma, or would you take a different you know machine? I guess if I gave you that matchup, Texas Oklahoma or the field, would you take that or the field? I think I'd go the field just because I'm not sure I 100 percent believe in Oklahoma yet. I, I think that offense, you know, maybe isn't going to be good enough. I think TCU is still really intriguing despite that loss to Colorado because they're so explosive. I think Kansas is an interesting team that gets Oklahoma and Lawrence, and, and you know, as good as as Oklahoma has been, I think some of that is probably a product of the schedule, don't you think? Maybe a little bit. You know, in terms of who Oklahoma has played, you know, Kansas State, yes, lost to Missouri. Yes, there are flaws there. I'm not sold on K-State's secondary, but I'm not sure Oklahoma is is super equipped to, to take advantage of that if they were even playing, which they're not. And so I think that when you when you look at it, there are about three or four teams that I could see reaching that game alongside Texas. I do think Texas is going to be one of the two teams that go there just based on what I've seen so far. But if you're giving me Oklahoma or the field for, for sort of that other spot, I think I might go the field at this point. Talking with Kevin Flaherty here, 24-7 sports. Uh, I did want to talk a little uh, KU basketball and uh, recruiting here for KU. Uh, KU last night gets a commitment from LeBaron Phylon, who is a top 40 recruit. I think he's number 27 on the 24 sports rankings right now and uh somebody who's kind of a scoring combo guard what what exactly is KU getting in Phylon yeah you know it, it's funny because this is a Kansas or this is a national point guard class that doesn't really have a lot of guys in, in terms of high major talent and, and guys that you really feel coming in and making an impact as freshmen and Kansas was able to get one in the former Auburn commit. And, you know, you look at, at a lot of what he does. I think his attitude really translates well to Kansas. He's got a lot of toughness. Uh, he can score from all three levels. You want the three point shot to be a little better because you want every single guy who comes in to, to shoot the ball a little bit better than, than they did in high school. But I, I think one of the major areas that, He's made gains, and you want to continue to see him make gains. Is sort of as your primary playmaker for for other guys. He's he's kind of got that club in his bag now, and you know maybe he didn't have that in there as much you know a year ago or or whatever else. But I think that he's really worked to improve it. It's something you want to see not just become a club in his bag, but but maybe start to become a strength. But the flip side of that is. 
you're probably getting Dewan Harris back for another year. And so you want a point guard who can not only play point guard, but somebody who can coexist and play at the same time as Dewan Harris. And with his length, you know, with the way that he can score the ball and, you know, handle it and do all the different things that he can, I think he would also be able to, you know, slot in at that second guard spot next to Dewan at certain points as well. Yeah, and I, I guess that becomes interesting when you talk about the future. Obviously, the Arterio Morris stuff throws a, uh, I guess, wrench in, in KU's possible plans because I, I almost wondered if, if the way that KU was looking at it was, obviously, this year you have Dewan Harris and then you would would have Arterio Morris, though, again, that, that seems like a gigantic question mark at this point, and El Marco Jackson as the other guards. And, you know, I, I think probably prior to this stuff that happened, our Terry Morris camp and El Marco Jackson's camp would probably say, yeah, if we had a good enough season to go pro at the end of the year, we'd love to do that, right? Who wouldn't? Um, but realistically, because of opportunity and stuff, I almost wonder if, if KU viewed it as, yeah, maybe one of those two would be gone at the end of the season. But now because of the question marks with our Terry Morris, what if El Marco Jackson ends up being a one and done after this year? And Nick Timberlake obviously graduates at the end of the year. How much of this do you think kind of works out perfectly for KU that you would either end up with a guy who could start next to Dewan Harris right away as a freshman, or if El Marco were back for another year and you had another year of Dewan Harris with El Marco Jackson, he could be kind of that first guard off the bench and then be the guy the next year as a sophomore when both those other two would presumably be gone as well. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. And like I said, like there is a consideration here that, you know, you look at Bethea and, and you know, his decision and, and some of the other things, Derek, there just weren't very many guys that, you know, Kansas could could tap into in this class that could check the boxes that you just talked about to where, hey, if, if El Marco Jackson comes back, it's great. You know, you, you still have this guy. You can, you can continue to build around him and your future plans. And if El Marco Jackson goes, are you going to have somebody that you're okay with you know, giving a certain amount of time to a game, potentially starting and and all of those different things. And so there there weren't a ton of options, especially, you know, Bethea making his decision. And so you you look at, at what they were able to get. They kind of recruited him for a long time, but it felt like really ramped up, you know, the attention, you know, late and so to be able to to be able to get this commitment, excuse me, uh was uh was a pretty big deal because they needed somebody that, that kind of fit all of these different things that you just mentioned. All right, well, uh, Kevin, uh, local prospect of the week, do you got anybody uh, on the mind for this week? Yeah, I think uh, I think our timing's working out pretty well on a lot of these <laughs> because uh, we, uh, we went and saw Blue Valley Northwest play against Lee Summit North on Friday night, and we were not alone. Andy Kotelnicki and Jordan Peterson were both there as well. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Blue Valley Northwest has Andrew Babalola, one offensive tackle who, you know, has an offer from Kansas. They're recruiting him. But the other offensive tackle, Brock Heath, is also a Big 12 caliber offensive tackle and a 2025 guy. And so, you know, they went, they scouted him. Uh, Heath came and visited, actually, Kansas for the BYU game. He got offered by the KU staff. And so you're looking at a guy who's, you know, measured out at a legitimate six foot five. He was about 240 pounds or so in the spring when we saw him and he got measured. Uh, he's a really, really good athlete. Like he had a sub four six shuttle uh, 
at a camp this past spring. And you think about an offensive lineman, you know, moving like that and, and having the change of direction, the looseness of hips, got a really good vertical too. You know, the athletic testing is, is really kind of, kind of through the roof. Um, he has, uh, he has short arms. And so the, the one thing is, is I know for some people, you know, that may kind of nix him as a, as a tackle prospect moving forward. But I do think he's smart. He's really athletic. He's technical. And, and so he's the type of guy that you get in, you put some weight on and, and, you know, maybe he winds up being a tackle because of the athleticism and, and his, you know, technical ability and all of those things allow him to stick there. Or maybe he slides the inside of the line, but either way, you know, as Scott Fuchs talks about kind of getting your five best offensive linemen out there, you know, Brock Heath is a guy that if Kansas winds up getting him, you know, that's a, that's a guy that could certainly slot into one of several spots along the offensive line. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check him out with 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, and uh, maybe we can grab some barbecue or something down in Austin. All right, sounds great, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. More KU football talk, Lance Leipold audio, all that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 5 o'clock hour here on KLWN. In case you missed it earlier today, KU basketball landed a top 40 commit in LeBaron Phylon. Also, the KU women's basketball and KU men's basketball schedules have come out. Uh, shocker, KU's men's basketball schedules is tough. It is hard. Very yes. tough finish to the schedule. Big 12 is good. Is, yes. Good so, at basketball. Uh, that's Yes. There you go. Bad at football, though. Yes. Um, uh, I want to get into our heroes and villains segment here. Before we do that... We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football is more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code KLWN. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. All right, uh, KU football, KU-BYU game, heroes and villains. We're going to give a hero on the offensive, defense, and special teams side of the ball, and then we're going to pick our villain as well. Uh, who is your hero for KU football against BYU? Uh, on the offense, it's got to be Devin Neal, right? I mean, it could it's be. It's got to be. No, 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 no. I'm asking pause, you pause. to tell Time me. out, time out. Tweet. Time out. What? Luke Grimm. Luke Grimm is my pick. Even though he only had 18 yards receiving? Two touchdowns. I mean, touchdowns Don't matter how you get him. Yeah. Well, should that, to fact, that notion, what about Trevor Cardell then? One for 15. He had one catch for a t- Well, no, I guess the same efficiency. But his was longer. <laughs> no, give me Luke Grimm, man. Two touchdown catches. Guy's insane. Um... Hmm. I kind of still want to go with Jalen Daniels. Why? I mean, because he every time they needed a big play, like on third down, it was like him passing. Guess who threw those passing touchdowns? It was Jalen Daniels. <laughs> 130 yards Yeah, Jalen Daniels passing. But I know. he still had a fantastic game. I know. That's the thing. He had an 85.0 or 85.4 total QBR. 
He had three touchdowns, no turnovers. Yeah. He had 54 more rushing yards, six yards of carry. Yep. He was just efficient. He didn't make Can't, any mistakes. No, no, listen. Live your truth, man. If you want to pick <laughs> live him. my truth. If you want to pick him. What does that even mean? <laughs> if he's, you oh know, do gosh. your thing. If you want to pick Jalen okay. Daniels, I won't stop you. I would be tempted to take an offensive lineman because the offensive line obviously played great. The blocking was great. I just don't know that Could one you just guy. just pick all of them? I feel like that would be is cheating, there a, would it Is not? there a superhero that, like, clones it's himself? Multiple people. Or has multiple of himself? <laughs> Probably. Not one that I'm aware of. Let's see what uh, Pro Football Focus. I, I might pick the best offensive lineman from the game. The problem okay. is some guys, like, maybe had a good running run block grade, but a bad pass blocker. There's blocker. a lot of options for heroes on the defense. Um, let's see. Dominic Pooney had an 87 pass block grade that led the team. He had a 70 run block grade, which was best among the offensive linemen. Uh, Jared Casey, Tory Lachlan, Mason Fairchild were better in run blocking. I'm going to give it to Dominic Pooney. There we go. Dominic Pooney. Okay. Get the offensive linemen some love. Sure. Okay, uh, defense. Who is your defensive hero for KU? A lot of options here. Mm-hmm. I think you could go with Kobe Bryant, Kenny Logan, Austin Booker. Mm-hmm. Those are probably your top three options. I feel like it's a slam dunk with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I mean, he had a fantastic game. Give me Kobe. Yeah, it, it is Kobe. Um, I'll just pick someone else just so we have different names in there. Uh, by the way, I will say uh, O.J. Burroughs had a really good game. I know uh, Lance Leipold mentioned in the postgame he thought that was O.J.'s Burrow, O.J. Burroughs' best game yeah. in a Kansas uniform. Yeah. He almost had the pick six before. So Kane is there a him. hero that no one ever talks about that is like still good, but everyone like Hawkeye? Is that O.J. Burroughs? <laughs> Wasn't that your comparison last week, too? I don't, um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a good one for Burroughs. I... Uh, just have a different one. I will go with. Uh, oh, you know what? Screw it. Let's let's go a little off the beaten path because I don't know okay. how much we've talked about this guy this week. Gage Keys. Okay. Yeah. Gage Keys. I'm looking at the stat sheet. Only had one tackle. So you might be saying, "Well, why are you picking Gage Keys? He had one tackle." Well, he's third on the team in Pro Football Focus grade. Kobe Bryant was one. Cornell Wheeler was two. Gage Keys was three. Uh, even though he just had one tackle, he had two pressures. Um, I think the tackle did not go down as a sack because. He yeah, was yeah. fell forward like to the line. Yeah, I do. I remember. I remember the exact. Play it was you're basically about. equivalent of a sack. Yeah, I remember. Right? I remember the exact play you're talking about. I thought he played very well, uh, holding off blockers to allow the linebackers to to get on and, and make tackles. So you know what? Since you're taking Kobe Bryant, I'm I'm gonna go somebody off the beaten path that I think deserves some credit too. So okay. I'll go with uh, Gage Keys there because okay. sometimes um, heroes aren't the ones who get the notoriety. The hero do the, the does they the do dirty, the dirty work, work, right? Yes. And what's the Batman line? It's the uh, not the hero uh, we deserve, but the one we need. Or did I mix yeah. that up? The one we deserve, not the, no. It's yeah, not the one we deserve, the one we need. Yeah, yeah, basically that line. Yeah, that was Gage Keys. No, I think you nailed it. You know, yeah, no, um, it was the one they needed Perfect to help out everybody else. Of that right? Line. Okay, yeah. there we go. No, you. you All right. Uh, what is your uh, hero for special teams? Uh, I mean, listen, you have Seth Keller, obviously, mm-hmm. but do we need to start paying more attention to Tabor Allen? I mean, this dude's mm. got a nuke. He's just, he just kicking out of the end zone the back a, of the yes, end zone. every yeah. time. Every time. Yeah, BYU only had one kick return in the game. Yeah. I don't know how many kick returns the opposition has. Like, that's one thing to be a better coverage team. Just kick it out of the end zone. Yes. You don't have to worry about it. Exactly. 100%. I think that's a good one. Dave Brown. Uh, what about Tory Lachlan? He had a 13-yard punt return. Yeah. Yeah. I do that was a good that. play. Uh, Damon Greaves, two punts, one inside the, the 20. Not until he punts Ozzy style. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't give it to him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Seth Keller's the obvious one. <laughs> like, bro, like, bro, come on. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, so you're taking Tabor Allen. I'll take Seth uh, Keller. Yeah. All right. Yeah. A couple of kickers there. Who is the villain of the game? 
<sighs> I think it's got to be Isaac Rex, mm. right? Big yeah, I mean, in the first half I mean, they were was so annoying. How many did he have in the first half? Six? Because he had seven well, for the game. They just kept running the underneath crossing routes. And KU, it, you know, KU's defensive strategy was clearly just play soft and then, uh, you know, let them have that underneath. But that gets annoying. Yeah. I was annoyed. <laughs> I was like, dude, this guy's 6'7". This guy's 7'4". This guy's 8'3". What is he actually? And, you, and you, you can't see him? You can't find him in the flat? He's 6'6". Um... Yeah, I think he he would certainly be up there for villains. I also think uh, Ben Bywater, the BYU really good linebacker, yeah, he had ten an, tackles. He had an annoying celebration too. I don't know yeah. if you saw that. Yeah, uh, ten tackles, tackle and a half for loss, sack, pass deflection. He was the guy like, deflected the fourth down for KU on the first drive. Because like Keaton Slovis had a good had a good game, but mm-hmm. like does that was he a villain? Really. No, he threw you two picks. Yeah, yeah, you know he can't really. Be I don't a think it'd be him. I think yeah. the only other one you could argue is the villain, and I don't even know because this is like a innocuous, like happy story. But uh, there was one like, did the okay? Wait, you were there. You were at I was the there, game, right? Yes. So you didn't watch it. On I was TV. in the stands. Yeah. For people who watched it on TV, I do wonder because I was one of these people. Was there too much made of the Lassiter, their brothers on storyline? Tel- yes. Well, because there's literally Lassiter, every time even- Darius caught a pass. It was like, and his brothers defending him on the other end, even when Quentin wasn't on the field. I'm pretty sure the first play of the, or like their first, I don't know, what his first catch of the game, Darius Lasseter, I'm pretty sure. The so villain of the game. The announcer the credited Quentin Lasseter with the tackle, and I'm pretty sure Quentin Lasseter did not have the tackle just because he wanted to force like brother on brother crime there or something. like. So the villain is the TV broadcast. Maybe. Maybe. Sneaky. I mean, it's a cool story, though. It is you can't story. overly blame it, so I don't think that's a villain. I'm, I'll go Ben Bywater. You can have Isaac Rex. I'm, I'm going to take Isaac Rex, all right. yeah. First all of all, right. like, you're getting beat by a dude who has Rex in his name. <laughs> like, like be serious. Yeah, real miss. Like Rex? Uh, real misstep by the, the family to not name have Mike. his name start with a T. T like yeah. Tyler. Yeah. He could have been T-Rex. <laughs> but just, I mean, <laughs> the, he, he would have been in Alabama. That's a slam dunk. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> all right, we got some uh, latest light pulled audio ahead of the uh, game against Texas this Saturday. We'll share that with you on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.